Paris in the 1840s, one of the cosmopolitan capitals of the Western world. It was the end of the era of Romanticism. Intellectual and artistic innovation flourished. From 1844 to 1849, the literary, intellectual, and artistic elite of Paris gathered at the Hotel Pimodan to conjure new ideas and explore the mind. Among them were the legendary writers Victor Hugo, Alexandre Dumas, and Honoré de Balzac, the poets Charles Baudelaire and Gérard Denderval, and who many consider to be the father of psychopharmacology, Dr. Jacques Joseph Moreau. This was the Hashish Club of Paris. As word of the epic gathering spread, elite minds the world over would clamor to become a Hashishan. These were people that would go on to shape culture for decades to come. Their legacy still resonates throughout poetry, books, plays, art, medicine, and science. Welcome to our Hashish Club of Paris, curated events and occasional offerings of inspiration for over 30 years. Joya Soul. subject viewing phenomena in form which all fits within a realm of frequency phenomena of thought which occupies another realm of frequency and phenomena of feeling that occupies another realm of frequency we are going to go on a journey. How do you become a permanent being? Now I'm sure we all have aspirations and New Year's resolutions. But if I might, what if becoming a luminant being was the objective? Jesus said something very interesting. 
Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, and all else will follow. Seek luminosity. Because the eyes that luminosity see, the way in which luminosity looks at the world will create a very different path a very different path for you. We're really busy rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. <laughs> you can't fix what's missing inside by trying to rearrange the parts on the outside. Step, step into, into, into luminosity, 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 and you will see. You will see. The luminosity has an ideology. <laughs> it has a cosmology, and it has mechanics. How do we become luminant beings? First thing I want you to do is think about a mountain stream that has no rocks in it. Nothing that impacts the flow of water. Its water is just flowing through it. Unobstructed. That is the cosmology of luminosity. Life force moving through you unobstructed. We have seven main chakras, seven main energy centers within the body. There's actually 114 chakras and 72,000 naughty points. Your architecture is Magnificent. Magnificent. 72,000 antennas. 114 energy centers. Your cosmology is magnificent. And life force flows through that architecture. <laughs> you gotta be connected to it. It's not something you achieve. It's not something you work for. It's not something you earn. It already exists. It's there. You need to surrender. So let's talk about the ideology of luminosity. It brings us back to that seat of consciousness, that seat of awareness through which you are experiencing form, thought, and feelings. Thank you.
You are meant to be the experiencer of these things. You're experiencing all of these things. All of these things have energy. They're energy and they're moving. And they're meant to move through you. Impact you, change you, and continue to move. That is how the river flows unobstructed. But to understand the ideology of luminosity, we need to understand the anatomy of the fall, the fall from grace. I believe that the story of Eve eating the apple is the story of Eve, the creation, witnessing the creation. Forgets that it is the witness of the creation and acts as if it is what it is experiencing. It creates an identity with what it's experiencing. Because man, can we tell stories around that experience? Ooh, that's a slippery fucking slope. Because man, can we tell stories around that experience? It just draws you in to the point where you're no longer aware that you are witnessing the experience you now think you are the experience and there's something that's been formed called the ego that is now saying ah this is who i am it's building its identity so the hindus speak of something called samskaras so what is a samskara a samskara is trapped energy Think about the sky. Think about a cloud. The cloud comes, the cloud goes. It moves, it has energy. A samskara is an experience that we have that for some reason we trap. We trap it for two reasons. We trap it, one, because it's too much for us to deal with. It, it's too upsetting. Whoa. Mm, I don't like this. And so rather than processing it, experience it, we exert an energy that holds it. I'm going to hold that in its place. I'm going to put that in a place where it can't affect me because I don't like that. That is a samskara. Unprocessed energy that's meant to be moving. The only way it can't move is if a greater force holds it. So now you're starting to use your energy to hold something in place that you don't want. Mm, that is not a good experience. I do not want that. And then you have a wonderful experience. 
experience. I want that. I don't want this, but I want that. And so we freeze it. We hold it. And we now are beginning the path, the anatomy of the fall. We're holding what we don't want. We're holding what we want. And now we're starting to create a reality that's based on what we want and what we don't want. That's a fucked up reality. Because <laughs> it's not about you. 99.9999999% of everything that's going on has nothing to do with you. Most people their entire life is programmed by the samskaras. I don't want this. I want this. I don't want this. I want this. You're no longer dancing with the universe. You're protecting yourself from it. Because you created this identity of, I don't want this and I want this. Think of how many times over the course of a lifetime, how many things are you holding? Now go back to the cosmology. The energy, the water, is not just moving down the stream. It keeps getting hit by all the stuff that you're holding. Your nadis are not being dead. The energy is being holding back what you don't want, controlling what you want. And, and, and this category, what you think you want. So when I went on this journey of luminosity, I'm someone that likes to really kind of understand the essence of something. Your nadis are not being dead. The energy is being holding back what you don't want, controlling what you want. And, and, and this category, what you think you want. I'm someone that likes to really kind of understand the essence of something. Like I like to narrow it down to something that I can you know, just digest and just dive into. And so I recognized that there was a powerful, powerful connection between luminosity and unconditional happiness. If I were to ask the question, who in this room would be committed, willing to commit to a life of unconditional happiness? And those that aren't saying that are saying, well, wait a second. I'm 
I can, I can, how can I be happy if this happens? How can I be happy if that happens? Isn't happiness conditional? And then there are those that say, there's a lot of suffering in the world and you're going to say that you just want to be happy? Well, let's understand what we mean by unconditional happiness. The Hindus call it Sat Chit Ananda, ecstasy and joy of being. The Buddha called it the middle path. He said, he created Four Noble Truths. He said, we suffer. We suffer because we have preference and we are at odds when trying to force the universe into our preference. The Buddha said, it's the middle path. The middle path is accepting everything as it is for the 10,000, 10 million reasons that have made it so. 13.5 billion years of evolution. There's a lot of momentum behind what's happening. It is what it is for lots of reasons and 99.99999% of it has nothing to do with you. And we personalize it all. So what does it mean to be unconditionally happy? See, unconditional happiness means it's unconditional because it's not personal. It's not about the samskaras that it's, it's, it's not touching my bad stuff and it's wringing my good shit. It's how can you be present with what is so present that you're not drawn into becoming the experience you're observing the experience where it becomes something that teaches you. It becomes something that frees you. you, 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 you. Frees you. That's what luminous beings do. A luminous being doesn't need a CV. You don't need to read a luminous being CV to know if they're luminous. They're just fucking luminous or they're not. <laughs> then their CD, CV maybe become interesting to you. It's like, what did this person do to become so luminous? But it's present. It's present in who you are. So now think about your goals. Think about your dreams. What is the greatest thing that you could do to feed them? Become luminant. Because the luminant self knows how to feed the dream. We're so busy rearranging the chairs, the deck chairs on the Titanic. I'll figure it out. I'll just, you know, move everything around the way I want it to be. It's not what luminous beings do. Sometimes I worry. I worry about the misinterpretation of the law of attraction. 
works. It does indeed work. But what worries me about the law of attraction is it simply becomes a tool of the spiritual ego that then decides through that filter, because now I'm spiritual, the stuff that I don't want and the stuff that I want. But you're doing the same fucking thing. You're just creating your reality based on what you want and what you don't want. And you're missing the luminosity, the magic of just allowing what is. And there's a, there's a dance, there's a place for the both of them. I'm not telling you that you shouldn't have strong intentions, that you shouldn't have things that inspire you to do. But don't get so caught up in them that you look at every moment as, is this serving me or not serving me? Is this serving my mission or not serving my mission? Because what's happening in front of you in that moment is serving your luminosity. It's there for you. It's always there for you. Yeah, you can want to go and do this thing, and that's a beautiful thing. But in this moment, what's relevant? What's happening in this moment? And maybe the moment is tragic. Maybe the moment is beautiful. But what's happening in this moment that allows you to be relevant enough, connected enough, to make something beautiful out of it? Mm -hmm. Does it need to be a certain way? Does it need to be arranged to fit this idea of who you think you are? Jesus said, if your eye is single, your whole body will be filled with light. What does that mean? If you are present, your eye is single, you are here in this moment. Now, the only thing that's relevant, how am I interacting with this moment? What is this moment providing me the opportunity for? To learn, to let go, to grow, to be free? It may not all be comfortable. It's not supposed to be. That's just your construct. What we're talking about here is learning to accept what is. Makes so much more sense than trying to force what you want into what is. Ride the wave. Every experience is there to expand the dimensions of the heart, the capacity to understand feelings. Ride it. That's what the yogis do. 
they ride the Shakti wave. That is the cosmology. Breathing light. Breathing light through the magnificent infrastructure of antennas. Breathing light in from the universe. Filtering from your seven chakras to your 114 chakras to your 72 nadis. Feeding every cell, every atom of your being radiating with light. That is the cosmology of illumination. We're so busy planning our lives. So busy trying to make what we think should happen, happen. And it has a part. Indeed it does. But when I examine my life, it's all been about surrender. Mm -hmm. Surrendering to what is, often to something I never could have even imagined in all of my planning. Don't get so lost in what it is that you do. It ultimately really doesn't matter what you do. It's how present are you doing what you do? How illumined are you doing what you do? So if you want to be a luminous being, you can't be half-hearted. Now, half-heartedness has its value because through the lens of half-heartedness, it also helps us screen out things that we're being half-hearted about because we're not really, they're not really us. And so that's good. It's good that you're not doing it. But then when you identify that which is really important to you, there's no room for half-heartedness anymore because half-heartedness is your back door. But when you figure out what it is that's really important to you, you close the back door. That's like your sphincter, <laughs> tighten it up and your energy rising up. And where does it rise you to? Discipline. You now have to become disciplined about what's really important to you. But the discipline starts to create patterns and rewards, mm -hmm. behaviors. Mm -hmm. And then what happens is the city awakens. Devotion. So if the gift was accepting what is, mm -hmm. the city would be loving what is. Mm -hmm. And that's the message. Stop fighting with the universe. Joya Soul. I hear a voice and it proclaims my bright tomorrow starts today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's a new way, a world that's safe, happy, and free. It's who we are and what 
rearranging. We are loved and we are safe, and we have the choice to abandon our resistance, build this life we want to live in. Harmony is our decision, and our benevolence is the echo of this star song, calling us to come into love, manifest the peace we dream of. And I've been told who we are is our guiding light, and this I know. Everything is always hallelujah. Hallelujah. hallelujah.